ever wonder, what's the deal with this China place? With over a billion people of 55 different minorities, China's products, inventions, and impact can be seen around the world. And yet, China remains a mystery to most. The Chinese Graffiti Podcast digs into Chinese culture, art, fashion, innovation, and more. One girl's journey to discover an old nation in a new light. Here is your host, Jessica Later, a New York-based consultant who spent the last 10 years specializing in Sinology. Now, let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome to the Chinese Graffiti Podcast. For those of you who are tuning in right now to the very first episode, uh, you're probably familiar with Chinese Graffiti, my website, uh, where I talk about emerging Chinese fashion designers, uh, the evolution of the luxury market in China, sort of following the consumer trends of Chinese buyers worldwide. And I'm really excited to start this podcast because I think it's a better way to connect with all of you uh, who don't necessarily want to read a very lengthy article, um, which I am known to do on a frequent basis. I just get really into it and uh, I write these, uh, you know, 1500 word essays that none of you have time for. So I'm hoping that, you know, through this podcast, we can really connect while you're on your commute to work, in the car, on the subway, having some downtime at home or just, you know, doing laundry or whatnot. Uh, so I'm really excited to get started with this uh, with this podcast and um, to have you here every week with me. And basically here we are going to dive in more than just fashion. Uh, you know, if you're interested in any topic that's related to China, this will be the podcast for you. You know, particularly I am interested in fashion, but I'm also interested in China as it is as a growing economy, as a political system, as a socioeconomic um socioeconomic community that is, you know, changing on a daily basis. Uh, many of uh, the Chinese people are moving from the rural areas into the urban cities, and their lifestyle is changing, and their way of thinking is changing, and their career choices are changing. And it's all just happening really, really, really fast. And in the United States, in Europe, wherever you are, or wherever you might be outside of China, we all have sort of a idea of what China is like. But having lived there myself and having had a lot of experience in China and communicating with Chinese people through business and just, you know, my social life uh, through grad school, I've just had a lot of experiences and conversations that have really changed my perspective on, uh, you know, what China is. And I started this, this blog, Chinese Graffiti, just for a little bit of background, even though some of you have already been following me for quite a while. For those of you who are new or just want an update, Chinese Graffiti was created based on the fact that I was really passionate about fashion and I was really passionate about China. I have an undergraduate degree in Chinese studies and communications from Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh, and I got my master's at NYU in Chinese translation. I've always had a love affair with the Chinese culture, Chinese language, the people. Being there was like being in a second home. And I I just find it very comforting, but I never really knew why. And then when I was researching the fashion industry, you know, in China, I realized that this was a perfect way for me to combine my two loves, my two passions. And nobody in America was really talking about it. People were, 
you know, focusing on the political environment and the economic status of China and its relationship with the United States. But nobody was talking about the creative culture that was sort of in the underbelly of Chinese society. And I was super excited about this, especially knowing that I, as a bilingual communicator, would be able to speak with fellow Americans, fellow Westerners, um, and to sort of bring life to this part of the Chinese culture that was sort of, uh, you know, completely not sort of, was completely unrecognized. Uh, so I started writing and interviewing designers who were coming over to New York uh, for Fashion Week or just from some exhibitions, connecting over WeChat. Uh, and for those of you who don't know what WeChat is, it's this uh incredible app that I will explain in a future episode that basically encompasses everything from everything from, you know, what you know as Uber to uh, pizza delivery to uh, finding an apartment. Nonetheless, we will expand on that later at another time. However, going back to the original topic, uh, this podcast is going to be a discussion of not only fashion in China and as it applies to the global fashion industry, but also it's going to talk about the evolution of the luxury consumer industry, Chinese consumers, millennials, uh, you know, art, music, technology, business, you name it, we are going to talk about it, especially as it revolves um, around China. And I'm really excited to have this conversation with you guys and if uh, to hear your feedback and to, you know, we're going to also be interviewing a lot of different uh industry professionals and designers, and we're just going to get a conversation going uh, that you can't really find elsewhere, especially in English. So now that I have given you my introduction, uh, um, one last point is that I have been studying Chinese for 10 years, if not more, and everything that I have done, ranging from branding to fashion to supply chain uh, to real estate now, it all has to do with China and my use of my Chinese language and cultural knowledge to interact on a, um, on a professional level with uh, the Asian community, the Chinese community to be more specific. So today I want to talk about one of my very first experiences as a professional in the fashion industry, and this is going to revolve around manufacturing in China. I had a little bit of a, you know, a conflict with starting my career uh, in manufacturing in China uh, because my dad, as an uh, entrepreneur, uh, has a textile business that focuses on made-in-America textiles. However, obviously, this is a conflicting uh, conflict of interest for my family, given that I uh, entered my career with a job in footwear manufacturing, where I worked directly for the factory in China. The factory was located in Putian, uh, in southern China. However, we had an office in New York City, where I was originally uh, working as the assistant to the president of the company, um, and then moved on to become an account manager. I was hired for my bilingual skills, and I was eventually in charge of, uh, you know, product quality and assurance, and speaking with the factories, and communicating what the brands here in the United States was looking for out of the factories in terms of, you know, Whatever their shoe, whatever their shoes, uh, shoe design was, I was in charge of making sure that that was, you know, adhered to and delivered on time. And, you know, there was a point in time, actually a couple points in time, but the one that stood out the most was when I was sent to China for the um, 
first time for the company. I'd been there previously, but this was my first experience where I was going to actually get a hands-on uh, and front row view of the factories. And I'd heard everything you can think of. And I had my hesitations, you know, about factories in China. And we all know that there is this stigma around, there's a stigma around uh, slave labor and bad working conditions. And I was scared. I had no idea what I was going to encounter. And I was, you know, having all these mental concerns. I was just like, what am I going to do if I run into a child? What am I going to do if I see something that's unethical? Am I going to quit my job? I don't know what I'm going to do. And this was just something that I really, really struggled with. But I went nonetheless. And I, you know, at first glance, I was impressed. I saw uh, and I heard music playing, lots of light, lots of windows, everyone was happy. And I know what a lot of you were thinking, it's just bullshit, excuse my language. But you know, what I saw was good. The people I talked to was good. Uh, you know, with that being said, when I was on my way to the factories with my coworkers, the Chinese counterpart, she called the factories to say we were coming. So you know, it's kind of hard to say whether or not, whether or not this is uh something that you know alerted them that a foreigner was coming and they need to clean up their act i don't know but i'm hoping that you know what i saw was truthful and uh i am you know i was nervous about that and uh you know the factory environment is definitely not one that i am envious of i mean it is filled with toxic chemicals and the smells and the you know i can't imagine I can't imagine what it's doing to the health of the people who are working there, which also concerns me. Um, but thankfully, um, things are changing in China. It's not so much a manufacturing hub as it used to be. It used to be, you know, we hired the Chinese uh, a number of years ago to create for cheap labor, for cheap product, for cheap materials. And that's sort of how they got their reputation as a low quality, low, low quality, low cost country. But things are changing now, you know, um, there's been some, a shift in um, this stigmatized made in China phenomenon. I don't know if you're familiar with made in China. Made in China is this, you know, it sort of started as the name that was on tags of, you know, toys, clothing, etc. Anything you can name, we probably had made in China in the label. <laughs> and um so it, it got this reputation for being really, really, really low quality, but cheap. And everybody in America was doing it. And going back to my original point, this is how my dad's business was suffering. We were having a lot of struggles financially and the business almost went under simply because of the competition in China. There's just no competing with the low cost. Uh, however, as time has gone on, Made in China has now become sort of this, this title um, for a revolution that is changing. Um, this comes from, uh, you know, so many foreign brands entering China. People's uh, salaries are going up. People are becoming more well-educated as they get foreign-educated and uh, have higher ambition. The, the value of the yuan, the renminbi, which is the Chinese currency, is going up. And quite honestly, people have higher standards of living at this point. They're not willing to work in factories. Uh, and, you know, actually, there were a lot of, there were a lot of issues with uh, 
the American brands working with these Chinese factories. Uh, I experienced it firsthand. They had you know, not only the language barrier, but there was also this difference in work culture where, you know, there were miscommunications. Uh, there were so many samples sent back and forth that were wrong and that needed to be uh, fixed. There was sort of this uncertainty as well where, uh, you know, workers would go home for the new year and they would not come back. And there's just that takes that's a hardship on the factory. They have to rehire those people, find new people. And that qu- created quite a lag in production uh, scheduling, which then became an issue between you know, brands here and retailers. It, and, and I had to communicate that to them, that this was going to be an issue. And there was just, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm over in America. I mean, I can only say so much. And, you know, in addition to that, you know, there were a lot of excuses that I heard where I don't even know, you know, necessarily if American manufacturing uh, or if factories here in the United States were like this, but my experience was that there was always a monsoon and there was always a light outage, uh, a power outage. Um, These things were not commonly happening. These were just, you know, reasons why things were not happening on time. So there were a lot of issues that were existing there. And that's not to say they don't still exist, but my point being is that um, people got sort of tired of it. And also now that prices are rising and, uh, prices are rising for uh, the quality for for goods made in China, that it's actually now leaving China and going into Indonesia and Africa and Ethiopia. And, uh, you know, it's going to all of these other, you know, in Vietnam. And there's a lot of other countries that are absorbing the work. And they are taking on uh, the they're taking on the burden of this, but that does not change the fact that we need to be really, really cautious and aware of what the conditions are of these factories and the conditions of uh, the conditions of where these people are working. There's still people who are are putting their blood, sweat, and tears almost literally into the clothing that we wear for a season and then throw out. Which then brings me to my point of sustainability, which is simply that you know people nowadays are. I was I always ask this question about made in China. Just going back to that, um, in my interviews with designers and industry professionals about you know made in China and and is that still a stigma holding designers back from flourishing on a worldwide scale? Is it still an issue for people who are unaware of the China commerce? conversation, excuse me, um, who are, uh, you know, seeing quality goods come out of China, but are unsure if it's trustworthy. And it's a fair, a fair concern. Uh, however, um, I was recently told by um, a panelist, his name is Harlan Bratcher, he works at JD.com. And, um, you know, he mentioned that made in China is not nearly as big of an issue nowadays as sustainability, sustainability and ethical, ethical manufacturing. Ethical manufacturing is a much bigger deal, and they know that consumers are more um, concerned about that. So uh, that gives me a little bit of hope that people are less concerned with where it's coming from and more concerned about the uh, you know sustainable factor of their clothing, which just makes me very, very happy um, to hear. And um, yeah, so uh, this made in China stigma is is evolving and that's a great thing um there's a lot of designers and brands who are like i said before sort of suffering um and trying to overcome this stigma while um also um you know creating a new brand from scratch it's a lot to take on so 
we are trying to focus on China as a as a as a country with uh, with skills and with people who have have um, a lot of quality and have a huge influence on on the world. And honestly, I really believe that uh, these fashion designers and artists and architects and uh, all of these these creatives and these people who are uh, have been underappreciated are really about to pave the foundation for the future of, um, of industry, regardless of what that is. And, um, it's kind of one of those things where I have run into a lot of people who are, are Westerners and have these stigmas about, I don't know about the Chinese population. And there are stigmas about, you know, every, every race and every ethnicity, but, um, and, you know, I'm not Chinese, so I don't claim to understand any of the hardships of what it means. All I'm simply saying is that I would love for this podcast to continue to be a conversation, to break down those barriers from my perspective, uh, and to continue those conversations and to bring our world, um, make our world a smaller place. So with that, I'm going to leave you until our next episode next week, where we're going to have a conversation with Connie Chi, uh, the founder of the Chi Group. So I'm looking forward to that and I can't wait to hear your feedback. Have a wonderful week and I will hear from you soon. Bye-bye.